Welcome to The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at theoldworldlives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to episode 32 of The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy podcast. I'm Chris, and with me tonight I have Nicholas. Hello. And Jimmy. Hi, guys. And uh, when we record this, it hasn't been long since you heard our last episode, but that was recorded over a month, almost a month and a half ago. So I'm not sure anything has changed, yeah, but... Uh, some uh, some crazy time warpage. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we haven't done that much in between. We've had some uh, fairly uh, consistent episode releases now, which has been nice. We've just been... Yeah. Been up to a lot of recording, but not that much gaming in general, I think. <laughs> it's not too surprising. Yeah, where you live is going back into lockdowns, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a kind of lockdown, and also the weather lends itself to sitting inside and talking more instead of doing stuff. Yeah, here it's been raining for almost two weeks straight. There was like one day when it was really, really nice, but then it was uh, below zero, so it was... Just perfect, but uh, other than that, it's just been like 11 degrees and raining. That lovely autumn weather. Yeah, yeah, same. Here. I love, I love fall. It's a great season of the year. Yeah, it's a great season of gaming, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. If at least during normal times, it's a great season for gaming. But uh, yeah. yeah. But speaking of, have you been getting any other games in which your neighbor, Jimmy? No, I have not. So it wasn't that magical moment of having a gaming <laughs> neighbor that we thought a month and a half ago. <laughs> It was magical, but uh, yeah, he he works a lot. He's also into theater, so he has little time for gaming. And the little time he do have goes to Horus Heresy. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So it's something. You just need to uh, show him some some pictures of the stuff you're painting. Just get him hyped for fantasy. Yeah. Just lure him over. Just force him to build more time warbands in his spare time. He does have. He he do have quite a few Mordheim warbands, but uh, once you start playing Mordheim, you just want more and more and more, and then your life just goes into nothingness. Yeah, I've been starting to notice that. <laughs> you just gotta you just gotta do. It's gonna be a obscure Swedish reference, but you gotta do like the neighbor in Beck, and you stand out in the balcony, just waiting for him, and then you just uh, do you want to come over for some Mordheim? And then one day he will, <laughs> and then won't be able to leave. It's gonna happen. Yeah, you have to get that uh, neck brace and a nice robe to wear. Yeah, <laughs> I do have the balcony in the right direction. See, yeah, he usually do see me when he's walking the dog. See, he he sees my forehead sitting on my balcony when I'm smoking my cigars or cigarillos. Just wave some uh, more time figures yeah. or like a sound cry <laughs> around. I could throw them at him. <laughs> to be fair, it almost sounds like you're kind of hiding from him just seeing, oh no he's walking his dog i'm just gonna go down below the railing and just uh, pretend i'm not here oh hi i didn't notice you there yeah so jamie have you done any fun hobby lately i'm painting dwarves as we speak uh, so not much other than just painting these guys and i've been doing it kind of slowly which is a bummer because i usually paint with such speed and finesse yeah, it's the units that you've been looking forward to, though. So take yeah, your time. There's uh, also other reasons because I that that just explains why I haven't painted. But let's not get into that. But now 
later. Yeah, you're painting the, the Rangers, though. Yeah. So some really nice models. One of the, the few metal regiments that I don't have for my doors. But you, you do have their predecessors. Yeah, yeah, the, the lead ones. Yeah. I do have the lead ones as well, uh, but I I need a few more before I feel them. How many do you have of them? I have uh, nine in total, and I don't have the old Bugman. Yeah. Oh. And uh, the command group is included in that nine. Yeah, I, I don't have the unit champion, but I do have the old Bugman model, which I use as the champion. But you have like the, the guy with uh, holding the axe in two hands as well. That's the, Maybe the proper I, oh, champion. Oh, I forgot that there is a champion model, so I don't have a full command. I only have the banner bearer and the musician. There you go. I love the, the banner guy in that unit, though. He looks like a... I, I thought he was a Chaos Orf when I got him first. It looks so evil. Yeah. His beard is so curly. Yeah, and he's got like two horns. Yeah, downward. ram horns. Yeah, downward bent ram horns. Yeah, but he doesn't have those uh, large teeth like the tusks that most of the old Chaos Dwarfs have, right? We do have them. He's hiding them well. <laughs> yeah, he snuck in. The, the sneakiest ranger. <laughs> yeah. But the lovely models, uh, and I I didn't notice that they did that you did have great axes stuck under their their crossbows on their back. It's like what? Yeah. I just thought they, they had their hand weapons and the crossbow on their back is like this is Yeah, they're they're so well hidden. I I honestly didn't notice until I started painting them and that when I was getting around to painting the details, I was like, Whoa, there's a there's a gray weapon here. It's tucked in. <laughs> Because you, you can't really even see cool, the actually. you can't you can't see the the like the head of the axe. It's so well tucked in. Yeah. Right right between the the crossbow and their love handles. Yeah. <laughs> Proper dwarfs. Yeah. It's gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing the the ranger regiment painted up. I won't paint their shields this month. But it's gonna be later because I'm gonna go freehand on all their shields. So you're just gonna batch paint all of the shields that you yeah. have them. That yeah. makes sense. It's like basing if you're doing something yeah. more elaborate than standard basing as well. Are you uh, painting the the horn of Karakirn? I might. I haven't decided yet. It might be the Bugman B or a beer keg uh, because I will field Bugman with these guys eventually. Yeah, he's, his Bugman's bar was located close to <laughs> Karakirn, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, in just... the valley. Yeah. That also means more. that you should get that, someone to build that uh, brewery. Oh, man. Just model it out of, <laughs> model it on the, the one in the dwarf book, Sixted. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that scenery. Yeah. I, that, that was a great time for the hobby when that kind of scenery was in, in the books. And you say, maybe you should build this. And I think there was, wasn't there an article in White Dwarf about that as well, building it? I'm not sure. Or was it a web, web article? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a great set, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's kind of all the hobby that I've been up to lately. So, any other of you guys been doing any hobby? Started painting a dwarf catapult that I bought, but then I realized that my copper Valeo copper color had dried up. Oh, oh bummer. I, I suspect Krell of some sorcery in this, because... <laughs> I, I like he asked me what copper color I used and I said I used this Paleo thing and he said, Oh, don't they dry up? And I was like, No, they don't. I've had it for years and it hasn't dried up even once. And then I open it and it's dried up. Some That's just wicked yeah. crowd sorcery. Oh Jesus. <laughs> he spoke uh, the curse. <laughs> 
Yeah, and That's, also is that the alcohol based or the acrylic one? Yeah, the alcohol based. Yeah, they they have a tendency to if there's a the, even the tiniest little gap, it just evaporates the alcohol. Yeah, it's so annoying though because I had it for years, and then now when I needed it for like probably I don't need it for much more, but just need a tiny bit and it's dried up. Uh, but when I was uh, doing, uh, I was doing some research on Bretonia before the Bretonia episode, um, and I was looking through the Third Ed Army book, and then I just got so interested with all the crazy stuff that I looked through it some more, and then I found the baggage train rules, which were really interesting but very convoluted and complex, like most of the things in Third Edition. Uh, but I thought that that could be a, a fun addition to uh, Games of Sixth Edition, so I. Mean, I yeah. Go go ahead. So so I dug up some some dwarf bits to use for uh like a baggage area in games as well. So I have right. assembled and primed them, and I'm gonna paint them later. Nice. I mean, using those kind of things could be great objectives or additional victory points for scenarios, if anything. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I was th- thinking. Uh, so yeah, you you there are the rules or how many crew you get or how many people are there and how it works so like you have an area that's six by eight inches and just a square and within that square you have uh, x amount of guys depending on the size of the game and then uh, they're they kind of being behind a light cover and then if the enemy captures it they get a bunch of points but the 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 way you got points in third edition was pretty complicated because they started looting it and then the rest of your army got jealous that they were looting it so they had to take tests or otherwise they will get frenzy and try and attack them <laughs> and the guys looting it had to take tests to see if they would stop looting it, if they could start doing stuff again. And it was there's a lot of rules. So I thought that like if you attack this area and win over the the guys who are there are just unarmed uh, regular dwarfs in this case, uh, then you would capture the loot and. Uh, at the end of the game, you would score D6 times 100 victory points. Oh, because you I don't like. know, because you don't know like what you looted, how valuable it's going to be. Uh, and I mean, if uh, yeah. I mean, if 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 you if you're playing against orcs and goblins and you loot their their garbage train, uh, I mean, no no one knows what kind of lucky lucky loot that you can find. I mean, it could be anything because they are looters themselves. So it could yeah. be it could be relics or just hordes of teeth. You just don't know. Yeah, uh, I actually I got the uh, uh, from the Battle Skull Pass. I got the the tied up dwarf that I'm gonna give to my orc and goblin friend that he can put in his gar- uh, garbage train. So if I <laughs> if I capture that, then they'll rescue the the dwarf and then... and you get the free slayer in the next game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No matter what you're playing, if you're playing Kislev, you get a free slayer. If you're playing Dark Elves, you get the free slayer. I mean, using you, I mean, using slayers in that kind of way could be kind of kind of fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a slayer roaming up in Kislev. Of course, he's gonna join the army. Yeah, and maybe if he's still alive at the end of the next game, you get a deduction of victory points. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, just uh, spurring you to actually throw him into the enemy monsters. If, if he's alive, this should be a rule for slayers. If they're alive, they give victory points to the enemy. Yeah, this, yeah. This, yeah, this should be a rule. I mean, you want them to die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but didn't Flogger say that they have some kind of rule like this in their their army list? Like if they they're killed by strength five or higher, they don't give up victory points. Ooh. Yeah. Should um, be in the regular the, rules. There is uh, some. Something like that in the Storm of Chaos book, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I think you have to kill either all of them or not too many of them. 
because then you won't get any victory points because they deduct victory points and like that. And there are some rules for baggage trains in the General's Compendium as well. Yeah, yeah, some scenarios for it. Yeah, and that could be great uh, since you guys were talking about narrative linked campaigns earlier. You just have like a raiding scenario where you go after a baggage train or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, nice. As well. I used to have these bits, like mostly skull pass bits, the the pony carts and the the wall, and I also had the um, the furnace from the Anvil of Doom. I'm gonna put in the the baggage area. Nice. Um, that makes sense. That you could almost put that on, uh, so it looks like it's movable if you want. Uh, quite easy. Yeah. It's like putting on a, some some rocks or a pallet or something. Yeah. For field repairs, I mean. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's gonna be nice to use the uh, get some use of these, and I think uh, if nothing else, it will be nice to just bring them to a battlefield and just make it look like this is where your army is staying for a night before yeah. the battle. Um, but I was gonna ask, didn't the plastic miner kit come with one of those ponies as well? Yes, it had a different cart as well. I yeah. don't have that one. I have because I have one pony, pony and cart. I sent the other one in a trade with Jens, but I have one pony and a cart left. If you want it, I mean, you can, can, can get it yeah. if you when you get, when and if you get here, you can just have it. You can never have too many ponies and carts. I have two already. Uh, one I've separated from the cart, so I, I was gonna use it for a unit filler, I think, but then I didn't. But I can use that pony to to drag other things as well. I can use it to drag some war machines, for example. Yeah. If I want to do that. Do a dwarven, ver- dwarven version of the Galloper guns. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, it won't move faster, <laughs> but it'll look cool. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot say that uh, Mantic have actually released one quite cool thing, because it looks almost in the style of uh, uh, War Mage Reckoning artwork. They have a mine entrance for dwarves. Oh, sounds cool. So you can either have it stand alone or fit it into a hill or something, and you can make a mine encampment with all of those ponies. Nice. I'm gonna Google this and see if I can incorporate it into Just the my... Google Mantic Mine Entrance and you get it. You also get the lovely piece of, a uh, lovely photo of Abandoned Mine from Mantic Games, which also looks nice. Yeah, at some point I'll have to build a dwarf table. Yeah, I was supposed to uh, to do some gaming as well uh, two weekends ago, I think it is now, but it got cancelled because, uh, as Chris said earlier, we're moving into a semi-lockdown here, so you can't you can't uh, meet people outside of your household. Yeah, much. and it's probably for the best to just keep it like uh, on the safe side at the moment. Yeah, but I want to play Warhammer, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> given how uh, it's been for parts of this country as well. Uh, when they're doing local restrictions now, yeah, it's uh, it's to stop get, uh, it getting as bad as it was, but it's still a bit probably not the best of times, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah. Other than this, I have done nothing else. What have you been up to, Chris? Destroying an Eldar. <laughs> Sounds perfect. And turning it into a quite magnificent mage, if I can say so myself. Mm-mm-mm. I'm it's really fantastic. happy with that conversion. It looks so great. I have to thank my friend Daniel because he's the reason I have had like half of the bits for that conversion. He's, yeah. he's been just been sending me like every six months. Here, have a box of bits that I don't use, but it's just <laughs> the best. So nice. thank you. Yeah, you did a great job uh, de eldering it and keeping the elf yeah. aesthetic to it. Yeah, yeah, but. That was quite good because this was the multi-part plastic Eldrod kit. So 
given how the new kits are made, they basically have like layers upon layers of details on different parts. So the worst part was to get rid of all of the wraith bone on the chest piece. Uh, I've seen a nice conversion by a guy that I can't remember right now, which is quite bad, but uh, he inspired me to make this <laughs> out of this model, actually. But uh, he just replaced the entire chest piece. I just carved off everything and re-sculpted it nice. to make it look a bit more like cloth. But uh, that's a nice model. I've also made some more Mordheim models because I haven't been able to paint because I had some bruised ribs and still have. And yeah, the... Viciously attacked by a dog. Yeah, a massive beast of like six <laughs> kilos. But if it hits, uh, if it is right, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's not talk more about that. I've been... <laughs> yeah, but uh, painting with bruised ribs isn't ideal because you can't uh, hold your usual painting position for like more than a second. In other words, sit like a shrimp. Yeah, I've been uh, semi laid back on the on the chair in the hobby, hobby room and just uh, <laughs> carving stuff, pieces of miniatures, and making a Lustria themed uh, warband. The mage will be able to be used in fantasy as well, because I've made a special base for it, but the other ones will probably only be used as uh, a high elf warband. And this is all Jimmy's fault. Yeah, <laughs> blame me for everything. Well, you are the one that's uh, slowly talking me into building an entire table, so... Yeah, yeah, let's build it and they'll come. Yeah, the other two that are finished are two rangers, which are in the list, and uh, they are made out of the crew from the Scourge Runner Chariot, which is the Beastmaster crew from the Dark Elf Plastic Chariot. And yeah. one of which got uh, got some screen time. Yes, it was featured on uh, the Hobby Roundup last Thursday yeah. at the time of recording. Well done, and congratulations. Yeah, it's nice to actually get on the Roundup with a bare-bones conversion that hasn't even been primed yet. Yeah, and that they also mention... That it's the old world. Well, yeah, they mentioned that it was for an old world skirmish game. So it's, uh, <laughs> wonder what they mean. It's uh, one of many. It's one of those, you know. Yeah. yeah. There seems to be some love with, with some of the presenters for the old world because there's been quite a lot of square based hobby on that lately. Just more and more. Yeah. And it's nice to see that they can show models that were released last week. And people have painted up the competition level models, and then, oh, this model was released when one of the presenters was basically a kid or like four years old or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah those rangers look great. They look uh, really like they've been uh, they've been living in the jungles for a while. Yeah. So, now I just need uh, dead lizards. Yeah. Now I just need someone's uh, lizardman paint scheme to rip off for their, cl their clothes. <laughs> oh well, maybe I have to paint some lizardman. Yeah. Probably, yeah. It would be too have to bad. Do a do a lizard man uh, warband, Jimmy. Maybe I will. Or forest there's goblins. A, there's a there's a there's a nice kit from Blood Bowl out there, which would be mm -hmm. a nice nice base for more modern looking lizard men. Yeah, I reckon uh, one of the start collecting boxes would be fine, depending on what type of warband you would do as well. If you were to do one of the start collecting boxes, do come with uh, a massive lizard to have as a just a random encounter if you want to as well. Yeah, Everyone monster hunt scenario. Yes. Speaking of blood bowl, because this was one we didn't talk about before we started recording, there is a lovely blood bowl box coming up with uh, the Bo Bogenhafen, as it's apparently pronounced in English, 
Bogenhofen barons versus some orcs that I can't remember the name of, but they've got gorgeous models. But we, you, you know, we're Swedes, we're going to pronounce it properly. It's Bergenhafen. Yeah, it's uh, slightly problematic in Swedish, I think. <laughs> well, isn't yeah. there, aren't there colors uh, pink, white, and with hearts on it as well? No, it's uh, black and gold and burgundy, I think. Still... Well, it must have been at some point because I remember this vividly. Remember I think Bergenhofen is painted normally in white and purple, actually. Maybe some yellows, but I know there's purple in there. Yeah, their current uh, is actually gold, purple, or burg- like a burgundy purple and white. You're correct. And they look, I really, really like those models. I haven't really been into Blood Bowl models before, but if I were to get into Blood Bowl, this would probably be. Ones I'm going for. They look more more empire-ish than the the previous team. That look yeah. more just human. These guys yeah. have the the feathers and the puffs the and puffs and yeah, mustaches, and like slitted sleeves and everything. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the other guys are like basic humans, and these are proper noble barons. Yeah, these are. I think they story wise are ba- not like like an actual team team. It just basically. We want to play. We have the money. We're just going to buy our slots. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. But the orcs as well looks really cool in that. Yeah. They're, the black orcs are menacing. Uh, they have like plates bolted into their faces instead of teeth. One of them yeah. does actually. And I mean, the models are so cool. They're big, uh, hulkingly brutes. And there's also a couple of goblins in there. Yeah. Uh, the goblins are there to do all the things that the orcs don't want to do like running with the ball catching the ball and <laughs> scoring points <laughs> will we see any of these green skins in your horde in the future jimmy maybe actually uh, I, i've been keeping my eyes on the goblins from this actually uh, there's one of them that i want to turn into a goblin hero and I mean, the black orcs yeah. shouldn't be that in, that impossible to incorporate into building big bosses and stuff. I'm I'm actually thinking that if you look at the main big 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 orc, you probably don't even have to change anything on it if you don't want to. Nah. And there's a troll that's carrying slash throwing a goblin. Yeah, proper orc tactic. Yeah. Don't throw the ball. Throw the goblin who carries the ball. Yeah. It's as you can see that some of them have like a American football style visor on their or orgy helmets, so that might be have to change. But other than that, not much that needs to change. Yeah. And then we have a lovely team of a pair of referees. Yeah, an elf giving a red card, and the dwarf giving the elf some timeout. Yeah, I'm just thinking it would be quite easy to mod that elf into a mage of some kind oh yeah yeah and the, the dwarf into like as someone that carries a copy of the damas crown into battle like a dwarf a dwarf scribe yeah, yeah. or like a, a runesmith just uh yeah or try and stick a, uh, a staff uh, in his left no hand no this is a c- this is gonna be a count as battle standard bearer no one want to flee close to the book of grudges yeah or like a scenario piece when you have him with a oh. book on his back, and maybe two or three more that just have to hold off, like as for a skirmish game, holding off uh, ah. raiders while the reinforcements are are getting there or something like that. Ah, I love this. I just love it. We'll make it happen. Yeah, 
and the mage, you could possibly change the hand into something other than a red card and a feather. Yeah. Or add, make the feather be something else than a quill. But on the other hand, a quill would still work. It might be a mage that channels his magic through making stuff, like writing or, down. Or if you're, uh, <clears throat> if you're an 8th edition player and a really intricate painter, <clears throat> you could paint the, the card as one of the magic cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But this but is the spell guy... I'm using now. <laughs> or you just keep it with a red card, and you—that's your dispel scroll. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could uh, use to make it look like it's. Uh, you don't have to make it uh, red. Red. You could paint like regular parchment, and you make it look burnt on the side. So it's just like the dispel scroll while it's being used and just burning up for releasing the magic to counter the spell. Or you paint a graph on it, and you always play. Look at this graph. <laughs> <laughs> or just just write in a really tiny script auto include on it to make it fit yeah. in the eighth, eighth meta. Welcome to How to Paint a Tiny Card, the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Next time in episode two of How to Paint a Tiny Card. In <laughs> so there are uh, other things. <laughs> yeah. Other things that have been preview- previewed is the lovely box, because we have seen the models in full now, of uh, the new. Warhammer Underworlds uh, with Lumineth and Slanish in it. Yes, they look amazing. Perfect models for uh, alternate heroes or for me, skirmish projects. Yeah, and they have, even though people have actually asked this, we haven't uh, worked with Games Workshop to put an owl on the mage, <laughs> but have been asked that. Yeah, it's a nice owl. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm thinking the mage could easily be used in. Fantasy, just need another base and maybe a head that doesn't look like he's scared. I think that's yeah. just because they paint weird. Yeah, that's the new kind of eyes for the Luminance as well. They paint them a bit different than the old elf eyes. But there's a good base for a mage, or just rebase it and you have a mage if you don't want to do anything. Uh, you have the uh, Moo head guy. It could be a yeah, really cool. Skip. <laughs> no, uh, just changed or mod, mod or change the helmet. Modded the weapon, and you could have like a phoenix guard type champion, or change the weapon to a sword that is holding against the ground. You have a sword master yeah. champion, more and then you have the, and then, then you have the actual sword master. Yeah, yeah all, just all, cool. All of these warbands have good potential for bits. Yeah. Really. yeah. The archer might need a bit of a mod, but uh, could still be used. Yeah. And then we have just have to mention the slanish beastman. Ah. Uh. The the so-called kortbok in Swedish. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. That, that, the model is amazing. It gives a lot of feel back to third edition chaos with the realm of chaos, and uh, it's just it's it's perfect, top notch. Why can't they just release full units looking like this? Yeah, and speaking of just full units looking or an entire army looking like the rest of that uh, warband as well. Because they're all good. That warband is all good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my favorite model, apart from the Beastman, which is my favorite, is the leader of the warband, uh, a Chaos Champion, having quite the ornate armor and wielding a spear or a glaive, depending on how you want to look at it, and a nice-looking shield. A lot of scarifications, yeah. too. I'm seeing that one, the leader with the shield and uh, spear, that would probably be a perfect model to use as a druki and anointed in a sort of chaos model. Oh, stop giving me ideas, man. Yeah, I'm trying to influence the other one as well, who's 
if no one has heard it, is actually falling to the Dark Elves instead of uh, Dwarves. Not really instead of. Ah, true. As well as. <laughs> but it has like a piercing of a ring straight through the wrist as well. That's yeah. a bit of scream. What else? Do we have anything else? There's a box that was released this past weekend or on pre-order, which is the, um, what is it called? The Catacombs box. The Catacombs, yeah. And we have talked uh, about those more about... before. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't think we talked about the elves. Uh, we only talked about the three ones that they did show us before. Oh, that's true. But they, but they, they, they still do have the same potential, like we mentioned before. Oh, definitely. Perfect, perfect for skirmish or just use or shades. shades. Yeah, shades yeah. and characters, or yeah. mod them to be a darkish warband for uh, more time. Yeah. Yeah. So the they had released the 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 one that's more Daughters of Cain before. I don't know if it, they're even the same games. There's Underworlds and what's the other one called? War, Underworlds and Warcry. Oh, yeah, Underworlds. Warcry. Uh, Underworlds is the uh, four to six miniatures and cards game, and Warcry is what could, if you want, is really generous. Be called New More Time. That's very yeah. generous. Yeah. It's but, more like the. What was it called the Kill Team Armageddon version instead of uh, of Necromunda instead of Necromunda that was released before Necromunda. Yeah. yeah so the Underworld one was the the one that's more Daughters of Cain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is and this is the the Warcry that has it, it still has some vibes from the Daughters of Cain. Yeah. You have some some yeah. females in there with big hair and daggers and like they're armored, but they they all have cloaks and stuff. So yeah. it's like a mix between Daughters of Cain and Shades. So yeah, yeah, lots of good bits. I think these are agents of the the uh, what's her name? Morathi. Yeah, they are Knight shadow stalkers. Yeah, but there have been rumors that there will be. Well, we know there will be, but there have been rumors that one of the releases, not in the too far distance, is the what some have dubbed Umbra Myth, which is the shadow version of Lumineth, basically. They 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 kind of did uh, write that out on their web page. Yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> change it minutes later. Yeah, so that's what I mean. With yeah, <laughs> it's not substantially more than that, but it will come. Yeah, and that will probably be the the other half of the Daughters of Cain book, if we can say like yeah. that. Likewise, Tyrion will be the other part of the Lumineth book when he is released. As long as I get more models to play around with, I'm happy. Yeah. Wait, wait, is Tyrion still in the, the yeah. universe? Yeah, yeah, he's blind. Didn't he? Didn't he take the sword of Cain, though? Yeah. So but shouldn't he, he be on the Dark Elf side then? No. No. Malekith is still leading Dark Elves, even though he's merged with his dragon. And his dragon has been... his The dragon's name has been reused for the entire Lizardman army in Ito Sigmar configure. Hmm. The Lizardman yes. army is called Seraphon, which is also the name of his dragon, if anyone didn't know. But what is is he is is he and the dragon one? Yeah, the merge. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's like a shadow demon. Yeah, he's turned into Illidan from uh, World of Warcraft. But he's had multiple dragons. It's... Yeah, but the latest but one was the one yeah. he merged with. <laughs> okay, let, let's let's not even get started. So Catch just, up with the program. Yeah, j- yeah. just get with the program. <laughs> so I'm just wondering when a prince of one of the cities will. Go north, find a sword, and then have to challenge Illidan. Yeah. Yelling something that not Frostmourne hungers. I don't know. Yeah. But there, there are some gorgeous models. And speaking of gorgeous models, there's also a giant gorgeous model. Yes. Yeah. Big feet Huge. boy. Yeah. 
He's going to be hard yep. to use in 6th edition. I mean, of course yep. he can. Yeah, I mean, the the old First World Giant was made for 6th edition just to have a more realistic size to the model. Yeah. The, was the Bone Grinder released in 6th or was it? Uh, he was released in 8th. Ah, yeah, but. Uh, uh, with, with rules. Rules in 8th. Ah, fair eighth. enough. Yeah. The, model, the model was released in 6th. Or yeah, there's, maybe earlier, I think. There's a lot of models that's been just, we're going to release yeah. a model. If you want yeah, to, I you mean, think that's an alternative. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, sa- the same goes with the, the huge demon demons from Force World. They were released as greater demons at first, yeah. and later they became greater, greater demons. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember the Force World Galrauch. Uh, because that was their version of a Chaos Dragon to have a proper size. Because you had the GW yeah. model and you had the Forge World model, which was like four or five times bigger in height only. Yeah, I can only think of the the one that they were supposed to release for fantasy, the, the humongous horn <laughs> dragon. <laughs> no, it's a regular dragon. Just slap it on a fifty by fifty base and play it. Just do it. Yeah, but yeah, the the giant is a gorgeous model. Uh, I mean, like, like I said, you can use him in the sixth edition if you wanna, or use him as a bone grinder giant in later editions. Yeah. Note though that the bone grinder giant is uh, one thousand three hundred ninety-two kroners if you live in Sweden. And I thought I had it open. That's why the the pause was here. <laughs> uh, and the kraken eater mega gargant, the gatebreaker mega gargant, and the warstop mega gargant that kit, because there is like the old one. There's more than one version to build. Uh, that's uh, 12 kroners cheaper than the Bone Grinder. Yeah. Yep, because it's 1,380 kroners. <laughs> so if you really want a Bone Grinder, you can just buy, buy the Bone Grinder. I'm not used to it. But if you want to use plastic, go with the Majestic uh, Mega Gargants. Yeah, and it, they're also loaded with extra bits. Yeah. Yeah, because they have like three different variants in them that have a bunch of big, unique bits. You could yeah. build like a, a whole village out of those bits. Yeah, which is nice because that just harkens back to the old giant kit and uh, all of the extra bits in that one. Oh, do you, do you know? I had an idea of how to use this giant, by the way. Uh, kind of aimed at Jimmy. Uh, you could use it as the the loader of the massive cannon in Midnight. <laughs> Stop! Oh, I will have to do this. Or you could, you, or you could sculpt, uh, sculpt better clothes on it and maybe some armor and just uh, say it's uh, like a remnant Sky Titan and have it eat ogres. Oh, Jesus. But just imagine using one of these and having a, like the Seat of Middenheim from the Son of Chaos. Yeah. If there's if there's anyone out there who want to be my sugar daddy, just give me a call. I also I thought of <laughs> rules for the the midnight cannon. By the way, uh, if you like, it acts as a normal cannon, but you you use either a small or big template, and just that's the 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 thing, and then it bounces and just everything underneath the template. So, oh, you, so you should have, you could almost use it. It, uh, it should do D three bounces. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking it use like three artillery dice or something. Uh, or uh, have fire. it uh, fire like uh, uh, grape shot and just uh, use it as a lance weapon. <laughs> everything underneath so is grape shot. Uh, everything everything on that six by four takes a hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's been some really nice stuff released lately. It's uh, almost 
evil that they release stuff that people want to buy. Yeah, stuff making you know people money. Do you know what's also nice? What's our interview with Thomas Pirnes? Yeah. Yeah, and that is uh, coming up right after this. And here's a few words from our sponsor and splitter, noted orc strategist. Stumpties hide underground, and Pansy Elves hides in the trees. That's why I prefer Yayumis. They build sort of low rocks with holes for coming and going through. They build some on hills. We have to climb a bit, but at least they're in the open where a lad can get at them. So you can lob a few rocks on the walls, bash through the holes, and get in there and nick all their gear without wondering if the roof is gonna fall on your nut or if you're gonna fall off a branch. I like bashing yummy places. Only they don't call it a bashing, they call it a siege. And welcome back. And as we mentioned, we have our th- returning guest here today, and it's Thomas Pirnan, and we're going to talk some uh, Warhammer. Thomas, take it away. Hello, this is Thomas Pirnan, and I am the a game designer. I've been doing this for far too long, 25 years, I think, the last time I counted. It's starting to be a bit scary to count it all. And the, those pe- uh, people who listen to The Old World Lives would know me most likely from my work on the Warhammer Fantasy Battle 5th edition, uh, doing army books like The High Elves, uh, and working on the others like The Dogs of War and The Bretonians and whatnot, and then writing Mordheim and uh, the, the for uh, Games Workshop, uh, working on the Warhammer Siege and a lot of the, the scenario packs like Circle of Blood and Tears of Isha. And then, of course, uh, the most importantly, the subject of today's interview, I'm led to believe I wrote the Warhammer 6th edition that the, the, the 6th edition Facebook group calls fondly as the People's Edition. It's a title I'm very proud of. Yeah, it's also been called uh, the King of Editions, the Editions of Kings, very aptly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's an important difference. They, the whatever it's the the, uh, the the king of sports or the sport of kings. It's the the it's the whatever it's the elite kind of product or a something that is for everyone. So I think that the the sheerly for, uh, from purely from the point of view of just mass appeal, I think for the classic Warhammer Sixth Edition probably was the peak if I got my numbers that I saw right. Yeah. Um, so people that have been listening to our show before will uh, recognize uh, Thomas from our Mordheim interview as well. And if you haven't heard that, you should definitely go and check it out. Even if you're not a Mordheim player, it's a great episode and it's a great interview. Um, but uh, could you just uh, reintroduce your backstory a bit of how you got involved with the uh, Games Workshop and uh, Warhammer in the first place? Yes. So this was in the dawn of time when the snail mail, i.e. paper letters, were still the dominant way of communicating uh, abroad. Phone calls were super expensive. It took literally when you wanted to to download your uh, emails, it took hours to get a a bunch of emails uh, downloaded. So I was at the very embryonic state of the internet. I was writing in one of the, the online groups 
it's the news groups, the, the Warhammer, legendary Warhammer group. It's the, and I wrote a lot of uh, tactics articles for the Warhammer 4th edition, uh, starting just when it was released. And the, the, uh, I wrote also a lot of homemade lists, uh, army lists, and the units like the Kislevites. And the, uh, it was during this embryonic stage of the uh, internet, it was Jeff Johnson, the, the game designer of great renown, who is still at Games Workshop, who is the, the probably best known if you look outside just GW hobby for, hobby for uh, designing the, one of the true classics, Blood Bowl, still an absolutely splendid game that, uh, game that has stood the test of time. And he was working heavily on Warhammer at that point, and he enc encountered the, the stuff I was writing because it had gotten very popular over on the internet and Games Workshop sent me a ticket, a plane ticket to come and visit the studio and the, the, I chatted to everybody there and they decided to offer me a job. So I joined the um, White Wolf crew. They first uh, released my first army list that I did for GW, Kislevites in the Citadel Journal. It was very popular, so they thought that there might be something here. Now, everybody at that point, when they joined the games design team, they first did a stint at White Dwarf, which I, is very hard work. You have to produce a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. You learn about photographing models. You learn about writing quickly and the, the writing a clear, understandable articles hopefully. Uh, and the, I was there for a sort of a half a year, a bit more before where, so I was promoted into the, the uh, game design group where I joined Andy Chambers, Joyce Johnson and the, the Nigel Stillman is the, the uh, doing games design, is the working on, working on Warhammer. And we were all under the, the, the overall direction of the legendary Rick Priestley who wrote the original Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy Battle who really taught me everything I know about game design. I must warn your listeners, though, this is not a way you're going to get into the, the games business. Like, I am the only person in the world that I know that had this kind of Cinderella story, which I have to say is probably completely down to blind luck that Jervis actually read my stuff online. So please do not think that this is a valid career path. As the most of the time today, you have to go to a school and study game design if you want to make it. So, so you said uh, that you started writing articles and armless for fourth editions. Is that when you uh, started with Warhammer, or did you did you play previous editions? No, no, no. I played third edition, and I played role playing games well before that. So, I was familiar with the War uh, White Wolf when it was still a heavily a role playing game magazine. Uh, but the, the, at that point in Finland, it was extremely difficult to get any models or any of the rule books. Uh, I was one of the first customers of the Fantasia Pellet, which is the, the, was the first shop ever to sell RPG and miniature game stuff in Finland, and still the, the, the dominant one over here. Uh, so I played third edition, but there was nobody write anything to. I mean, none of us had computers to begin with. I would have had to write it by hand on paper because there were no computers. Uh, and the, the, uh, there was no internet, so there wasn't anybody to show it to. So it's really, it was a combination why it was the fourth edition 
was that the it was the first time when I could a use a computer to write something and b share with share it with everybody in the world. Nice. Uh, also, I gotta ask, being a, a Kislev player myself, uh, so you said you wrote uh, the Kislev Army list. Are, are you a big fan of uh, Kislev as a thing in the Warmer universe? Oh yes. I mean, I was brought up since I live in Finland, and I've always been a huge fan of the classic uh, Russian and Polish fairy tales. Like I love the 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 uh, mythology of the uh, Central and Eastern Europe, and the 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 visual look and feel, because it's so different with those metal face masks and the the Polish winged lancers and the 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 Cossacks and the 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 curved sabers. And the uh, and it's something that has been very underused. Most of the fantasy tends to be medieval Western Europe, which I love too. But the, the there was a lot of untapped potential there. And I was, as far as a your typical young Warhammer fan goes, I was pretty knowledgeable about the, the subject matter, which is something that I think also when I joined GW, everybody uh, the, the appreciated. I mean, hey, they decided to publish the Kislevite army, and it was the first one that the GW ever put put out. Yeah, yeah, it's a very cool theme, and uh, yeah, as I say, I don't think a lot of people know that much about the uh, Eastern European history as much. The, when I started my project, I delved deep into it, and it's just discovering new things all the time that you don't really hear that much being focused on the Western Knights and stuff like that. And also visually, like the, I would recommend to every one of your listeners, look up artist called Ivan Bilibin. I'll send the, 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 the spelling of the name later so you can share it. That is the classic artist who made the seminal pieces of the uh, Russian fairy tale artwork, just stunning stuff that somebody really should do an army that is based visually just on his stuff, because it's the best the, the, there's ever been. Okay, so getting back to uh, you moving to England, mm. uh, did you get uh, drafted to to start on the sixth edition pretty fast, or how did that happen? Oh no, I was the, the I was still a long time with the fifth edition. It's the uh, I worked on a lot of the army books. I rewrote the whole High Elf army book, almost my favorite army, but it was the fourth edition list was. Uh, legendarily weak. It's the it was one of the first ones, and the the it really wasn't written to be competitive, but it had the the best background in my mind. Some of the best stuff Bill King has ever made. Uh, and at that time, I was then so well established as the Mister Warhammer at the studio that the Rick, uh, after especially I wrote the Realm of Chaos and the Vampire Counts books for the fifth edition that were both very big hits. That the the, the project was handed over to me. Uh, I'd done also Warhammer Siege and Mordheim at that point, so my credentials were well established at that point. So it really was very natural. I mean, everybody just said that, yeah, you should write it. So I perhaps foolishly started doing it. And it was very, very interesting to, to do something because it was still like a 40% at that point of the all of the Games Workshop business. And of course, it was the granddaddy of their games. The first one they did, so it was massively important to Games Workshop at that point. And the expectations were sky high. And all the fans obviously had huge expectations for the sixth edition. Yeah. Uh, so did you have uh, things about the rules that you uh, you and Games Workshop knew that you wanted to, to have changed in the new edition? Uh, so was, was it more of a, we need a new edition to address these issues that we know about, or was it a, we need a new edition and what should we change? 
well, we knew we needed a new edition, like the amount of uh, uh, FAQs and the, the, the army list power creep had gone for far too long. We knew that uh, we had already released often a second edition uh, of a several army books. So we were getting into a situation when the range was unmanageable. It was also huge. Uh, you had to have the magic box. You needed to have the arcane magic box. You, if you want to play sieges, you had to have the siege book. So it was also very, uh, it was very hard for anybody to begin the hobby. So part of this was to fix the rules, balance the the army lists, and the the put them everything in a single book. Because we also found that if you think about, you are a kid in England, <clears throat> and you want to start Warhammer. And you want to have like the full experience. Well, you need the, the basic box. Uh, you need the siege book. You need the magic box. You need the arcane magic box. You need a uh, the army book for your army. And really, Games Workshop core business, like where the money comes from, always was the miniatures. It was not the paper. So we were working against what we wanted. That is the people starting to play the game and get into the hobby. So the, the Warhammer was in a, uh, from the point of view of the, the, the company, it was in bad spot. And also this, all this stuff took a huge amount of shelf space. So it was important to get this together. So one of the things also was that this was a lot of money. It was not just that the, the, you needed a buy a lot of stuff, but you needed to be quite well off to just try the game. So we wanted to get out of that. And that's why the sixth edition book has the siege rules, magic rules, uh, skirmish rules, um, the, the, uh, all in a single book. And that's why the, uh, the, the Ravening Hordes was such a compact uh, army list that they served the community, I think, for very well for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so the, the new edition of Warhammer 40k had been released before this, right? Yes. Uh, yes. So how big of an impact did that have in terms of uh, like the, the game design? Because that, that kind of had a similar idea compared to second edition 40k that it was a bit more compact into one book right yeah I, not that much i mean we kept the two games separate on purpose because they we felt they needed to have their own identity i mean obviously i sat right next to andy chambers and we went to pub pretty much every week we went to the gym together every day so we had a very good rapport but the games themselves uh, <clears throat> we felt that we needed to be intimate with our f of the fan base of that game, and he was Mr. Forty Game, I was Mr. Warhammer at that point. So the the I think Forty Game was even harder situation because the the original Rogue Trader, which is of course a classic book, but it was never really meant to be what people wanted to do, which was a game for running a competitive one-on-one -on -one battles. It was written very much like an RPG book which is probably part of the reason why it was so impactful, because it really engaged people's imagination. <clears throat> but as a competitive game, the, the, uh, it was not a, a product. It was, it was trying to do something that was it. Uh, people were trying to use it for something it was never meant to be, really. So what Andy did with second edition, I think, was just common sense. Like, it's something that had to happen, that you didn't even need a plan. I mean, everybody, you'd ask anybody playing 4 the game at that point what should be done. They would have said, do exactly what Andy did, which was put everything in one place, make sure that the rules work in co uh, competitive one-off setting, the, the, 
put the RPG stuff on a supplements or White Wolf articles, but the core game should allow you to get into the game course. Bloody hell, if you're a beginner and you take the Rogue Trader book, how easy would it for, be for you to put an army list together and try to start playing a competitive one-on-one -on -one game? I mean, just work. Yeah, I, I've uh, I haven't played it, but uh, I I own the book and I look through it, and it is uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it's not very straightforward. No, no, I mean, if you try to release that today, I mean, nobody would give it a second glance because it would. It's the, 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 there is a lot of water has 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 uh, flown under the bridge. It's the 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 games industry is completely different. The expectations of the people are completely different, and their attention spans are way shorter. Yeah, it's nice to hear at least that people have always been, always been trying to make 40k competitive, even when it was brand new. Yeah, I mean the originally uh, Games Workshop was very much about uh, the the uh, uh, the RPGs, and really Warhammer and 40k came out of the the especially Warhammer came out of that the the mini Miniatures had pretty good profit margin, so let's try to make stuff that the people can use the miniatures for, and it just became much bigger than the RPG side. Um, RPG side for, uh, for for Games Workshop certainly in uh, wasn't small. It was quite popular as far as RPGs goes, but the obviously miniatures are a much more, how would I say, a uh, sustainable. Uh, so a big change with Sixth Edition that was also introduced in Third Edition 40K was um, like a, a organization, force organization thing. Um, was that an idea that had been floating around for a long time for uh, fantasy? No, or rather it's, it came from that the, we looked at the people coming to fight in the Grand Tournament that they had a literally armies of eight models. And that really didn't... From our point of view, they the, the didn't feel like they were playing Warhammer. Which at that point, we we all were fans of the mass battles, and it didn't look like there was a mass battle going on. There was just eight models on the six by four table, and you couldn't even see the bloody army because it was so small. It didn't. We didn't feel it. It recreated the the a feeling of an epic fantasy battle. It was like a very small skirmish game. So the um, so the organization came, and also, I mean, everybody heard about the Hero Hammer on the fourth and fifth edition, and especially Rick was not a big fan. It's the the we all remember the Savage Orc Warlord with sixteen attacks or something hideous like that. Uh, the which meant that the rest of the army was there just to, to fill in the the, the force twenty five percent of the the entire points value and nobody found that really satisfying over over at the design studio there are fans of the hero hammer and i totally get it uh and i think you still could do a very heroic army but we felt that if you are making a a a your, your average bretonian army and it has hardly any knights or a a a uh wood elf army and it has no wood elves or archers then it doesn't really feel like the, the you're living the fantasy. So it was very much about, in a way, recreating the lore of the old world on Battlefield. But I did it on the fly. There was no long-term plan. I just looked at the problem and came up with a solution. I showed it to Rick, and Rick nodded once, and that's that. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so another big change uh, from 5th edition... Uh, uh, not so much the rules, but the like the the feel of the the book. Uh, for example, all the the art is in black and white compared to the very colorful pictures in fourth and fifth edition. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, so, yeah, what, so what was the, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so that was a it's called a Mordheim effect. It was I, John Blanche, the legendary John Blanche, was my art director on Mordheim, and we really said that right. We'll finally let John do what he wants to do, and we already started this with the Realm of Chaos that was already in that vein, and we went to the the grim dark and the the gothic and eldritch kind of feel. And at that point, we had a we had Karl Kapinski, we had the the uh, uh, Des at the studio, Toby, obviously John himself, Wayne England, and all of those guys. What they wanted to do uh, was to do a uh, carry on with the spirit of the Mordheim and make it a the, the the world feel more gritty and realistic. At that point, also. Games Workshop had gotten in a point where the audience had gotten very, very, very young. And we found that the, the this did have an impact on the, the that if you have very young people coming to the shop, they really, I mean, I have nothing against, say, eight-year-olds, but they obviously can't spend a lot of money because they don't have it. So that wasn't good for the business either. So there was a, maybe a little bit of correction there, but really it came mainly from the passion of the artists and that the, the the heads of the studio at that point the uh the the and of, of course Rick who was a board director went that yeah it's the let's go back to our roots and and if you look at the the like the cover the awesome cover that the the um with the the shield and the hammer it all sort of has that uh, uh craftsmanship like feel to it same thing like when I wrote the background it's the the I wrote it from the point of view of somebody in the world and there was a lot more of the 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 original grim dark from the also from my warhammer fantasy roleplay days but again there wasn't a board meeting with the directors it's it's really was a design and design studio driven initiative nice yeah that's very prevalent uh, what you're saying about the, the narrative as well both in the the rule book and the army books and i really love that it gives you a great feel of the the setting and yeah, yeah i mean the um the the we at that point we talked a lot about the the uh, unreliable narrators so the idea was that every army book is written from the point of view of somebody of that race well, when we came to sixth edition so they present the history and lore and the the uh the ethics from the point of view of that race and the if you remember i wrote the the histories of the dark elves for the sixth edition book and i just went to town like writing it wholly distorted view of history but it's how a dark elf would think uh which was kind of uh schizophrenic since i'm such a huge high elf fan so i had to take the view of the enemy but it was also a lot of fun and we decided that we don't we can contradict the army books can contradict each other when it comes to lore because just like real history i mean the romans when they wrote their history they didn't write it from the point of view of celts or the or the Carthaginians, those were the bad guys to them, and they made sure that, that that's how they presented them, even though they claimed that they were speaking the truth. So we wanted to recapture that as well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for example, I love the, the dwarf book, uh, where this, this is this guy Redmayne sitting in a tavern, just uh, berating all the, the youngsters in there and what really happened. And uh, the Empire book, where there's this guy telling the story to someone, and then uh, while he's telling it, he's recommending some books that he used to happen to write on the subject for a Low, low price of at least a couple of shilling. Yep, I mean this is it. It's the uh, 
it's the you want the player to sort of feel home at their army book it's the, the and give their view and even if they know that they are lying if you're playing skaven you why not it, it, it's it's a virtue to lie so the um so the the we wanted to get that feel into the uh, books and the the sort of make you create that suspension of disbelief that the, the you really are in the old world and somebody's talking to you and the uh and I think it's also something that they got the creative juices of people going. And I, I think the, the Alessio and Gav, it's the who took over the mantle once I left on the sixth edition book. I think they did a wonderful job there. So uh, getting into to rules wise, when you started working on this rule book, uh, what were the points that uh, you knew that you, you would change from the start and uh, what things just came along along the process? Well, one thing was like overhaul of the magic system and magic item system. So so they wouldn't dominate the game so much. Overhaul of the uh, hero system and the uh, things like frenzy, so they wouldn't tilt the car battle so heavily in favor of the the individual heroes and monsters versus units. Uh, clarity. There were some very 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 long term failings in the rules, like how the fast cavalry rules allowed you unlimited movement if you played the rules as, as they were written. So there was a lot of cleaning up to do. But I also wanted there to be a uh, a whole feeling of the, the a whole game when you buy the book that you don't need anything else. So that's why I took the siege rules I had written for fifth edition and upgraded them for six. Same thing I took the Mordheim and made a sixth edition the skirmish rules. Uh, but really the biggest changes cause the we did have orders that Warhammer is a classic game. And the people were asking us not to go to the, the, the drawing board. They wanted it to be Warhammer. So I my changes focused on the systems that people didn't like, like the, the magic system. It's the the and the force organization and the heroes and the psychology, but the, the core system of movement shooting hand to hand, it's the the I clarified, I cleaned up, I rewrote things that were unclear or didn't work. But the the uh, it was also important that the people who spend a lot of money and time collecting their armies that we would not make rules that, that would invalidate them. When when the sixth edition was released, was there uh, an outrage of angry gamers emailing you about having nope, destroyed nope. the game? Everyone was happy. Not everyone, of course, but the, it was very well received edition. I think that the the because it hearkened to a bit more mature look and feel, and it fixed a lot of the rule rules irritations that the veteran players have. Those guys are usually the most uh, quarrelsome, and and we just happened to be that the things we wanted to fix were the same things they wanted to to get fixed. So I think that the the that helped with the reception. Uh, and I also think that the the um, the biggest problem really was the the was the the ravening hordes, which nowadays is probably the most fondly remembered part of it. I wrote that the first version of that in two weeks. Then Alessio and Gab took it and they did a revision of it. It's the but the, the the people thought that oh, is this it? Even though obviously it was communicated multiple ways that there are gonna be full army books, but the word didn't get around. But nowadays, when you ask people what's the best thing about sixth edition, a lot of people say it's the ravening hordes. 
Yeah, you can really see the the flavor of Sixth Edition coming from uh, from the Ravening Horde's book. I mean, you got basically all the Sixth Edition books mashed into one, with few changes from the from the first Ravening Horde's book to like the Empire book. There's, uh, I mean, the Great Swords are a bit different, but I'm guessing that's because they got new models. But everything is basically the same. Points cost are basically the same. Yeah, yep. I mean, the the we did a. Uh... Quite a lot of playtesting, me and Alessio, when we were, uh, the, the, I was working on the Ravening Hordes and the, the, he was uh, uh, helping me along. I actually did Ravening Hordes, the first version of it, is the outside the core hours. I did it as a freelancer for Games Workshop, even though I was working for them at the same time. Uh, but the, the, there was so little time that I had to start working overtime. And the Rick, to his huge credit, said that, nope. You're going home once you've done eight hours of work, and that's final. If you're going to do freelance work, that's fine, but you are not doing overtime. And he was adamant about that, and I respect the hell out of him. But the, the, the Ravening Hordes really benefited that the, all the army lists were written at once at the same time and playtested against each other at the same time, which meant that the getting balance right when you have every single army on your fingertips at the same time without having to worry about any of the future books at that point, because they don't exist it's the the uh i think it really 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 helped so speaking of the future army books uh, did you start planning those right away even before the edition was released or how did you plan those out for throughout the edition oh yeah oh yes i mean we were already like the 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 writing stuff for them gathering ideas uh of course me alessio and gab who were doing warhammer at that point with a couple of assistants we were immersed in warhammer so if you and gab was like the studio biggest dwarf player so if you asked him what a dwarf book should be like he could just rattle it on there and then so we were not that concerned about the the uh getting the books done because the ravening hordes was a great base we knew what we wanted to do so it was more sort of for the production and especially the model sculpting to align with it it's the uh, so the, the, there was a high degree of confidence about being the, able to produce the books. Uh, and we've already done a lot of playtesting with the edition. How long did it take uh, when you started an army book uh, for the, the rules and the, the sculpts to, to align? Like how long did it take to make one army? It's a three months was the usual length for a, uh, the, the army book production. For some, uh, sometimes there were changes. Chaos, uh, Realm of Chaos took a lot longer. That was six months and it was, it was a really, really hard work. But then the Vampire Counts book I did in six weeks because there was a, a this was to the schedules and the, the, we wanted to get the, the, the book out and the miniature line production was aligning at that point. So, um, so the, the, it varied, but three months was a good rule of thumb how long it took to write the book, write the background, the, the, do play a lot of test games and the work with the sculptures and artists so that the, the, we would get the, the, the art and miniatures done. Uh, so uh, I knew you left uh, Games Workshop uh, when 6th edition was still the edition played, right? Uh, I left it the, the, when the 6th edition, just after it released, a little bit after that, yeah. So, so what army books did you uh, help write? Oh, I worked on the the dark elf list. The the Gab took that and worked on it. And uh, the the obviously beastmen. I had done a lot of work for that already. There was the, my high elf notes. 
but really the biggest thing was that the, the we've worked on the ravening hordes and the the much earlier and like you said that was really much a basis for the gameplay side of things and the magic system so um so you could say I worked on all of them and kind of none of them at the same time. Because at that point, somebody else took like became the point man for the each of the army books. Uh, so the the uh, I would say that I had my finger in all of the pies. But led the, the, led the foundation for all of them, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But taking nothing away from everybody else. I mean, uh, who wrote the, the, the dwarf books? It's absolutely the, the guys who were... Uh, they are after me. Same thing for Dark Elves. But you will also, if you've uh, thumbed through the uh, the books, you will not see my name in the credits. So you can see where the guys took bits and bobs from what I've done. So uh, which contribution to a, a faction are you the happiest with? For the 6th edition, uh, I gotta say it's probably the, uh, the, the Dark Elf stuff. I mean, the... Uh, the when we were laying foundation to the deta the new detachment systems for the empire and the, the like you said the list it's the, the me and Alessio had a lot of discussions there but the uh, I think the dark uh, elves were a little bit uh, underdeveloped on the fifth edition it's the the and I think they came together not just as the rules and the and the models but also the the lore. To, uh, came together very well in the in the sixth, and the, the, it was expanded and developed a lot. Nice. Yeah, I have um, recently uh, eyed the the dark elves a bit. I never played them before, but I'm planning on uh, building some dark elves. And just going through the book, it's uh, it's very modular. Like the way the army list is made, uh, it looks very interesting. You can play it in so many different ways. Looks great. Yes. Yeah. And this was also like the 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 one of the really important things when making an army is that you have to realize you can't just make endless amounts of models except if you're making chaos because it's so popular that the, the people buy everything you make for it it's the but you actually have a limited number of codes and the shelf space in the shops so you have to try to get a lot of mileage out of every unit if you can and the old throwaway units like the old uh, dark elf swordsmen that were useless utterly useless not very nice models either it's the the you don't really want to do that as a yeah, game designer it's bad for the fans it's bad for the game and it's bad for the company because you're making a unit that nobody wants and you can't use in anything but if you can make a unit that can be used in a several different scenarios and in different army builds then you are do making something that the, the is good for the game and it's good for the fans and it's good for the business uh, I was going to ask this. Uh, you kind of answered one of the questions already. Uh, which part of 6th edition makes you most proud? And you already answered the lore part. So which rule part makes you most proud? I think it's just having guts to rewrite the magic system. Uh, I I love the cards. Don't get me wrong. I thought there was it was there was a lot of creativity and uniqueness to that. But it's also made it very unwieldable just to set up a game and haul all that stuff around and they, they hope that you didn't lose all your magic cards uh going into the dice based system it's the uh, i think that took the most nerve i think in the hindsight the history vindicated the 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 new army organization like moving all the armies into the the uh core special and rare it's the 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 history vindicated that so the i am pretty happy with that but 
definitely on the time the magic system gave me the most gray hairs. Yeah, and uh, the magic items is also a big change moving from the, the cards. Oh, yes, and those had to go. I mean, come on, you could make... You could make such a nasty combos, especially because you have to remember that the Nigel, who is a genius game designer, and Jervis, who's the nicest man in the world, those guys, their focus is not on a competitive tournament play. So they created a lot of wonderful, cool magic items, and then some nasty git, like me, took them and put made together just disgusting combos that could easily take the fun away from the game that it was really the, the game was decided by not by your tactics and strategies and the army you painted and collected and put on the table but the, the selection of the cards and and that's not uh, if you're playing magic the gathering that's great if you're playing warhammer it's not so great <laughs> um so what was your uh, your main job after sixth edition was released were you used to helping out with your army books or, or were you doing well that? i i was leading the warhammer effort in general so then that is White Wolf articles, the talking to the business internally, like the sales offices, why we're doing this, uh, planning ahead the, the the next books, what order do we do it, working with the artist. It's a lot of time you just spend talking to the miniature sculptures because the GW models have a the kind of unique feel and they are very tightly tied to the lore of their games, like the the... You really, most of the fans know if the the uh, if it's a, um, but in order for the games workshop to pull that off, that all the model lines the lines they match and they work together and they work with the lore and the army books, there is a lot of communication that has to happen. So one of the big things of a game games workshop game designer has one of the big tasks, at least in my time, was just sitting down with Chess Goodwin or whoever it was that was making the models and the chatting about it. I, like, I spent a lot of time it's the talking to uh, Trish Morrison about the monsters or the demon princes so that you would get a good-looking unified uh, look and feel to them. And you could see when it didn't work so well and you could notice some discrepancy between how the models look and how the law described them. It's the, the, and the better the communication between the designer and the artist is, or the miniature culture is, the more more unified the the, 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 the product looks. Uh, these elves look great, but do you think you could make the hands smaller? Oh, if I could make them smaller, it's the... Oh, yeah. No, you mean the models? It's the... That's a good question. I think that's got to do with the the with the ease of painting. Like, the they there was always a feeling that we want even a beginner to have a decent chance of uh, painting a decent-looking model, and that the bigger heads, feet, and hands do help if you're not super skilled. Yeah, it's just a thing where with uh, a lot of 6th edition plastic models that they seem to have very big hands. Like the High Elf Spearmen and uh, the Dwarves come to mind. They scale them down a bit later and the metal models had great proportions but I used to remember all the yeah. plastic guys having massive hands. Yeah, this could do the, have something to do with the, the, the fact that the plastic models at that point, you first had to sculpt them in three times the actual size and then the, the, the a machine shrunk them down so you get the uh, detail because it wasn't computer assisted at that point and i think the proportions when you are uh three times the normal height versus the the, the 28 or heroic 32 millimeter 
they look different. I think that could have caused it because that was still done mainly at that point. It's the, with this technique rather than the designing it directly in computer. The sculptures still all worked by hand, not using computers like they do today. Yeah. So when you were planning out the army books after the release, um, were you planning on releasing Ogres back then? And were you was Games Workshop planning on facing out Chaos Dwarfs at that point? Or did you just kind of happen along the way? Those kind of things really, of course, you do when we the, the talk about what do we do next and the, this, whoever is the studio head talks to the, the board and the, the head of sales and really it was Chaos Dwarfs and Squats are the two classic examples. There was no demand and since Games Workshop operates its own shops and the resellers operate their own shops, they don't want product that's not going to sell and it's simple as that. It's brutal as that. The armies that nobody wants won't get produced. And of course, there is always the hardcore fan base. I love Chaos Dwarfs. I wrote two army lists for them. It's the, the oh, hoping that one day they could be released. But there just was nobody who wanted to play the big hats. And there is nothing I could do about that. And the you can't tell our uh, the, the sales side that here is a product you can't sell. So we made them. But you're, you're, you're just going to take it and suck it. And the, the you're not going to have many friends that way. And neither are you going to have a successful continuing healthy business either. It's the trying to sell people stuff that the vast majority doesn't want. So no matter how much I loved Chaos Dwarfs, didn't really matter. Yeah, it's funny now that uh, you see them sell for crazy amounts of money online. Yep. <laughs> Bob, same thing for Mordheim. Some of the stuff that's the, the being sold there is just insane. Absolutely insane. It's the, the amount of money. Yeah, even the militia box for the Empire is sold for crazy money. Yeah, yeah. The the what happened a bit I understood with the Empire was that eventually there were so many people making a models you could use for the Empire that it just bit into their sales, even if people like playing with it. It's the, the there was just so many alternatives. It's the uh which is kind of shame. But you look at the popularity of the Total War Warhammer now, you can definitely see that the the, the fans of the old world are still a legion. I have uh, a couple of questions uh left. Uh what is it about the High Elves that you like so much? Uh Bill King's lore and Jess Goodwin's models, like those where when they came out, it was revolutionary. You had never seen anything like them before, like they were completely out of this world. And the, the, uh, like there was nothing, nothing like them. Today, obviously, you see hugely intricate, detailed models left, right and center. But at that point, it was a paradigm shift. And also from the point of view of the quality of the writing, because Bill King is a real author, like a really good writer. Love the man. It's the, the great guy. Uh, his Trollslayer, uh, the series is classic, of course. Uh, he wrote stunning work for the High Elves, which I really, when I was doing the High Elf book, and they asked me, do I want to rewrite the faction? I said, no, it's perfect. I'm not going to change a letter. I'm going to add stuff on the edges and build up on it and take the, the, the stuff that he mentioned. And they take the, the characters from my own Warhammer Fantasy roleplay campaign, like Korhil and Belanair and Alithanar. But I'm not going to change a word because, quite frankly, I know Bill is a better uh, fiction writer than I am. It's the... Um, uh, that that's probably those two things that really tied me. It certainly wasn't how good they were on the battlefield. Like the on fourth edition, the the playing high elves was torture. They were so poor. Uh, do you have any favorite Warhammer battles that you can remember? 
Uh, the ones that the, the were published, you mean? Uh, oh, no, any any battle that you played. It, it was the siege battle against uh, Gordon, who was the head of the studio at that point, and I lost that one, and it really hurt, but that was last turn, sixth turn, last roll of dice, he managed to, to break the castle or gate and the, the get in and win the battle by one and the, the take the courtyard. It was a great battle. As much as I hated losing, it's probably the best Warhammer game I've ever played. Is that uh, published somewhere? Yeah, it's in White Wolf in the, when the siege came out. Oh, I, I have that White Wolf at home. I remember fondly there's a picture of you laughing and pointing at uh, one of the siege towers broke down. Yes, yes. Um, Gordon was very, very good player. Very good player. It's the I am no pushover, but the, the, that was a heart-poundingly exciting. I still think that the Warhammer Siege, if you, I mean, it's a lot of work to buy the castle and prepare all the siege equipment and play the campaign, but I still think it's one of the greatest ways to play Warhammer. Like, people should pay, play more CGs. Yeah, we should, Jimmy. This winner. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so did you uh, carry on playing uh, Warhammer after you left Games Workshop? Yes, and the the and I play all sorts of games all the time. I play miniature war games, I play board games, I play tons of video games. Obviously, since I make video games, so I'm making I am making a new uh, miniature war game right now as well. Uh, and the the and I get a lot of invitation to conventions, and there is Mordheim and Warhammer there, and the 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 I will pick up a game course a lot of. People want to play me, and it's I. I love playing games. Uh, do, you, do you guys have any more questions? I have a final one. So, knowing what you know now, and knowing what you knew then, what would be the top three changes if you could turn back time? I would have made it's my holy grail that I'm working on right now for my own game. But I would have made a campaign system that really sticks with you. That's something that the, you can really feel play over a year or so and really invest in your army and build it with you and they still allow any newbies to join in in the middle and have competitive battles. It's something that and that had a great clear end goal. The one thing I, I enjoyed a lot making Mordheim, but the one thing that was missing, I think, was the satisfying ending to campaigns. So that would be one. That's the like what Mighty Empires tried to do, but obviously it was way too complex. Um, and the the I would have probably uh, I would have made it alternate activation. It's the, the rather than you go, I go. Now, obviously, at that point, this was not an option. Like, it, if I'd suggested that, Rick would have just said that they, oh, come on, Thomas, you're such a joker. It's the, we are not going to ruin a classic game. And he would have had good reasons to do that. But if I wouldn't have to care about any of that, I would have made it alternate activation. It's the, I think, the an initiative system uh, or a leadership-based system or even a card-based system, I think it would have made it much more exciting. Um, and I think it's the bizarrely, I would have allowed a little bit more hero hammer. It's the, the like, I would have made that there'd be a big downsides if you go down to a very small force, but maybe I was a tiny little bit restrictive. It's the, the, uh, I was very, very, very severe that I wanted to see armies, not a clumps of three to five models on the table when they're playing Warhammer. Uh, but I've, I've maybe become, I mellowed when I've got an older 
and I'm more understanding to people who just want to have a Chaos Lord Bloodthirster and a three Juggernauts, and that's it. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I had one final question as well. What What do you think your biggest contribution was to Sixth? But you've you've answered so many questions, I can answer this as well, I guess. Well, I mean, it was somebody had to take the bull by the horns and write the damn thing, and. Remember that the, the writing that book, it wasn't just the rules or just the lore. It was working, I mean, having a working relationship with John Blanche so that the art would come together, having working relationship with the, the model and the miniature sculptures so that the armies that went into the box would come together, working with the, the, uh, the, the, the cover artists so that the, the, it would have a front face, uh, the face that you could really sell the game in. Leading a project that, that is much more than just sitting in a corner and typing some words. So just getting the damn beast out on time to earth's budget on a schedule and the, the uh, communicating it to the rest of the company and the, the, the fans. It's the, uh, I, think, I think the biggest thing is its longevity. Like I am stunned how many fan sites and Facebook groups and the, the Reddit channels there are for the sixth edition. Like it's really, really unlike any of the other editions. It seems to have stuck with people. And in this profession, that's what you live for. You want to make like remember do that when you were a kid and you played your first role-playing game or Warhammer game. It blew your mind that something this cool could exist. And you're hoping you can give that kind of memory to somebody else. That's what gets me out of the bed in the morning to make games. So that's what I live for. And the, the, it seems like the sixth edition had had a little bit of that pixie dust, that magic that makes people remember it. Yeah, it's truly fantastic. You did a very good job on it. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Do I have anything more? Or should we release you to carry on with your evening? Eve, I just want to say one thing to the 6th edition uh, fans. It's the, uh, if you check my designer page, it's the ping me there. I am working on a new, uh, the, the miniature war game. And no, I'm not planning to challenge Games Workshop because that would be silly. I'm a single person. But there are some things in it that the, the, even if you are a uh, died in a World Warhammer player that the UK could find interesting and useful. So the, the I could definitely would welcome uh, more playtesters and more people chatting about rules. But I'm open. You want to talk to me about 6th edition, by all means, is the come and visit my page and give and say, uh, say hi and ask anything you want. We'll make sure there's a link to your page when we put this episode out so people will have an easier time to find it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on. It was great talking to you. Excellent. I really enjoyed it. It's the and thanks to all the fans. Cause at the end of the day, there is no point to my job if there are no players. So the the you guys are the other half. We who make the games are the other half, and you who the play are the other half. And we can't exist without each other. It's the, the there wouldn't be this awesome hobby without you. <laughs>